Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 5. By now, you, sh- you should probably have a good groove in your Bible right there. It should fall right open as we continue this series, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where we are looking at Jesus, our teacher, and uh, wanting to see that embodied in our lives. You know, I'll never forget a time when I was probably a sophomore or junior in high school. We were living in South Texas at the time. And the thing about Texas uh, homes in the city where I lived is the garages were built on the backside of the houses. So that means that there were alleyways in between each uh, street. And that meant that, you know, to access your garage, you would drive down the alley. Well, on my way to school one morning, I would always take this alley that would go uh, through and cut through to the next street over. And this particular morning... I was driving to school, I wasn't late, and I, I was pulling up and I saw someone backing out of their driveway and I just slowed down, came to a stop, and then they pulled back into their driveway. So my assumption as a young man was just, oh, they've forgotten something, they had to go back into their house to, to pick up whatever it was that they forgot. Uh, what I didn't realize, I learned much later, was that the size of the vehicle needed to be backed out a little bit back in and it was like a five-point turn to get this big vehicle out so in my haste to get to school i went ahead thinking that they were had just forgotten something i went ahead and started driving through the the vehicle started coming back out and had to get on their brakes pretty quick i gave a quick little tap on the horn just to let them know i was there i was in this small toyota tercel and so i made my way to school not realizing that the person who had almost hit me was now right on my bumper. I pulled into the school parking lot, and before I could even find a space, this giant vehicle roared around me on the right-hand side and cut me off. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there just kind of in a panic, and there is a big six-foot-five guy, a big old Texan who's just getting out of his vehicle, and he does not look happy with me. He comes right over, and he just yanks the door of my car open, grabs me by the, by the collars of my, my coat, and, it, and would have yanked me out of the car. The seatbelt kept me in. It also, my head on the, on the side of the car kept me in the vehicle. And he began to just throw me into the, the back of, of my seat and call me every name under the book, and I better not ever drive down that driveway again. And, er, you know, he just let me have it. It was, it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. I still refer to it as my alley ambush. Uh, it, it, my friends were gathered around, there were lots of people who were here, and he finished what he had to say to me, and he slammed my door and went back to his car and sped off. Uh, last insult, gravel, you know, all over my, my car, my freshly waxed car. And he took off. I felt scared, honestly, a little humiliated demeaned, threatened, and honestly a little bit angry that this had taken place in my life. Worst of all was later on in my life as I lived and and grew up, began to see those times where that same anger that I experienced at me, I found in my own heart. 
and sometimes came out in my words and my actions. I, I don't ever remember wrestling someone or throwing someone around, but, but those same intentions were even in my thoughts. Have you ever experienced something like this? I mean, maybe it was road rage or maybe it was something else. You know, anger can take a lot of different forms. For some of you who are watching, maybe you've experienced that anger simply because of the color of your skin. I know some of you watch from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Some of you have experienced that same rage simply because you are a different type of Christian than the other side of the community. Maybe you have experienced that rage coming out of you towards somebody who was a a little bit different than you. Maybe it was somebody in your family who just seemed to live with this smoldering rage and you were never quite sure when that was going to come out. I remember my own father and my aunt talking about their dad who was an alcoholic and a very angry alcoholic and how they would just have to sit on the couch and be quiet after school in hopes that they wouldn't bother him in any way, afraid that that rage would be coming out. But I'm sure you had some of those same experiences that I did, demeaned, dehumanized, maybe even demonized, only to turn around and find later on in your life that same anger boiling up within you. I mean, you're only human. I'm sure you have had this happen at some point in your life. Because we all have this tendency both to feel the effects of someone else's anger on us or towards us, and we can allow that same anger to drive us to do those things that demean, that demonize, and can even dehumanize another person. I believe we have all had our alley ambush stories, and we have played the different roles in those stories. And we seem to sense, if you're like me, I think we seem to sense that the world would be a much better place without these alley ambushes taking place. Well, what does Jesus have to say about anger? Let's go ahead and turn to our passage. Uh, If you have that open, we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. And if you're able, out of reverence for the gospel, would you stand right where you are in your living room all around the world. This is Jesus. Again, same, same sermon. He is still speaking to those crowds and to his disciples. And he says to them, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the Gehenna of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. 
Now, some of you are already feeling hopeless or you're feeling slightly condemned or maybe very condemned. So please remember that Jesus is speaking to bring hope to a crowd. He is not giving you a super impossible to-do list with this passage. He is trying to wake all of us up, that crowd then and us today. He's trying to wake us up to the radical work that he, Jesus, wants to do in us and can do for the rest of the world if only we will allow him. Remember, Jesus was in the midst of his talk about the kingdom of heaven that was breaking in on people right now. And he had just finished saying that he was going to fill the law and prophets, the Torah and the Nabaim. He was going to fill them with meaning and with purpose. So he starts by quoting the Torah, by quoting the law. Commandment number seven, to be, to be precise. He says, do not murder. You've heard this. Don't murder. And anyone who murders is liable to judgment. But then he shocks them by saying these words. But I say. Now, we're so used to in the church of thinking about Jesus as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And we kind of just say, oh yeah, well he has the right to say that about Scripture. But that would miss the shock that this would be to that crowd. And especially to the religious leaders of that crowd. I mean, if you want to get kind of in that mindset, imagine if I, Pastor Jeff, just said, hey, the Bible says this, but I say... You would, you would be listening fully because you'd be wanting to say, how far is he going to go before I call him a heretic? This is what Jesus was doing. He was getting their attention, grabbing their attention. And he goes on and says, you've heard it said, don't murder. And anybody who murders is liable to judgment. But I say, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is liable to judgment. Now, you're probably thinking, great well, I'm doomed. I mean, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I'm, so I'm, I'm just judged. That's it. Hang in there. Let's look deeper into what Jesus is saying. You see, there are two words in ang- for anger in the Greek language. The first word is not the word that Jesus used. It's the word thumos. You probably want to say that with me just because it's fun to say. It is the word thumos. Ready? One, two, three. Thumos. Now, thumos literally means a straw fire. It's a fire that flares up quickly and then dies down. And it does that because what is the fuel for the fire is consumed pretty quickly and there's nothing left. So it it comes up and then it goes down pretty quickly. It doesn't stick around. It doesn't harm. It goes out quickly. Uh, It's more light than heat. And and this goes to make a very important uh, point while we're talking about anger. Anger can serve a good purpose. See, anger is that emotion that when we see something unjust happening, anger is the emotion emotion that gives us the strength or the guts to go and make it right and to prevent further injustice. But like a thumos fire, once the wrong has been made right, and once the fuel, the reason for the fire, the flare-up has been consumed, then it dies back down. And same with Thumas' anger. Once the injustice is done, good anger dies down. It's harmless. It goes away. Now that is not the word that Jesus chooses to use here. The word, the very specific word that Jesus chooses to use when he says this anger is liable to judgment 
he uses the word orgizomenos. That's a long word, but it's fun to say. Orgizomenos. So let's try that. Orgizomenos. Ready? One, two, three. Orgizomenos. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Orgizomenos. I'm going to make Greek scholars out of you someday. This word comes from the the word orge, and it means an internalized anger. In other words, a long-lived, smoldering anger. William Barclay, the commentator, describes it this way. It is the anger of the person who nurses their wrath to keep it warm. It is the anger over which a person broods and which they will not allow to die. Now, this kind of anger can flare up in an instant like Thumas' anger, but the difference is that it changes the disposition of the person for a long time afterwards. It does not act rationally. This kind of anger that Jesus is talking about in Orgizomenos, it rages. It smolders down into a simmering bitterness, only needing a little bit more fuel to trigger the next outburst. One, one example of this is, is, is a zombie fire. Have you heard about these zombie fires with, you know, pretty much the whole West Coast on fire? Um, they, I saw this thing on the Weather Channel talking about zombie fires. And it looks like, if you look out over the landscape, of course there's a little bit of smoke going on, but it looks like you could, like, walk right down through the path of the trees. And then the firefighters said, come over here, and you look down in this hole, and they, as they focused in, you could see that the fire was raging down in there. He said, it's hotter than an oven down in that little, that little place. And all that needs to happen is for someone to fall in or for someone to poke a, a hole on one side. It would allow oxygen and more things down in there, and whoosh, this is really going to rage again. This is that orgizomenos, that fire that is down in it's hot and it's smoldering and it's only waiting for the next fuel to light it back up to cause that explosion this is the kind of anger that jesus puts under a microscope and compares to murder in essence jesus is saying you know really guys and and ladies murder is a pretty low bar for society to just not kill somebody that's a pretty low bar There are lots of things that lead up to that point, and he wants to help us understand the attitudes behind the actions that can lead to the killing of someone. So he goes deeper about orgizomenos to show that it can even show up in violent words. The middle of verse 22 says, if you say, well, your, your Bible say, if you insult someone, literally the words are there, if you say raka to someone, you will be liable to the council. This is violent language. The word raka is a word of contempt. It is purposefully meant to demean someone. Today, probably the closest thing we could come to the word racha would be some kind of racial slur or some kind of word to make fun of someone who is physically or mentally impaired. We would react with great anger to that and we would say that is just not the way things. Jesus says these words can express orgizomenos, what is going on in the inside and the heart. It's fueled by arrogant contempt and hatred. It just drives it. And he says this is also comparable to actually killing someone. Ooh, it's getting a little deeper in here. 
The, the end of this verse, of verse 22, says, Jesus says, If you say, you fool, you will be liable to the Gehenna of fire. That word fool is the word moros. I would act, ask you to say it, but Jesus tells us not to say it. <laughs> the, the word moros, and, and what this means is, is someone who is a moral fool. We think of a fool as someone who's just silly or maybe not quite intelligent, but really the driving part of this is to, is to call someone's morality into question. It is to, to judge them and to judge them guilty and to judge them harshly. Again, William Barclay, that great commentator, uh, says, To call a person moros was not to criticize their mental ability. It was to cast aspersion on their moral character. It was to take their name and reputation from them and to brand them as a loose-living and immoral person. Jesus says to use this word about another person puts the user of the word in danger of the fires of Gehenna. Now, I know your translations say the hell of fire, but the real word there is the word Gehenna. And Gehenna is a word with a history, and it's a word with a location. So I believe it fits better into Jesus' context. So let's look at this. Gehenna is literally the valley of Himnon. That's what it means. It's to the southwest of the city of Jerusalem. It's a deep valley. And in 1 Kings, if you were to turn back into 1 Kings, it is the place where Solomon built a worship place for the Canaanite god Molech. Now, Molech literally means, listen to this, the king of shame. And, and this was a deity that was worshipped by the Canaanites. And as Solomon took on Canaanite wives, he began to try and appease them by building worship sites around Judah that were to these other gods. And one of them was in Gehenna, in the valley of Hemnon, they would do that. And this was where child sacrifice took place. In fact, by the time King Ahaz comes around, he himself, King Ahaz, offered his own son as a sacrifice of fire to Molech, the king of shame. Later on, by the time we get to 2 Kings 23, Josiah, who was a good king, destroyed this place. He said, this place should not be in the land of the living God, of Yahweh. And so he said, we're going to desecrate. We're going to tear down that altar to Molech. We're not going to have this anymore. And I never want to see this happen again. And so I'm going to desecrate it. And so he made Gehenna into the garbage dump of Jerusalem became a big, I mean, Jerusalem was a large city. It became a, a large dump. And so how do you get rid of garbage and keep it from just spreading and sprawling and sprawling? Well, in the ancient times, you set it on fire. And that would consume it after a while. So it was constantly flaring up because there was constantly more garbage being poured out there. And so this is a good metaphor of the anger that Jesus is describing. Smoldering, flaring up, waiting for the next fuel. Now this got me thinking. When we hate and have contempt for someone else, and when we look down on their weaknesses or assassinate their moral character, are we... In the process, offering a child sacrifice to the fires? 
I mean, think about this. That person that we're doing that or saying that about is a child of God. That's what we believe, that every human being was created in the image of God. And therefore, they are not mine. They are not yours to offer to the God of shame with our words. The reason I think Gehenna is a better translation is that we believe in hell. And we believe it is an after-death thing. That's what we believe. But Jesus here is using this clearly about a present tense reality. He's not saying, oh, well, if you say this about somebody, well, then you'll have 40 or 50 good more years. And then when you die, you'll go into the hell of fire. No, he's saying right now, when we let this kind of anger simmer in our lives, when we insult with hatred, when we assassinate someone's moral character, we throw our lives right now onto the burning trash heap of life. Our life becomes consumed right now. Our present life becomes consumed with this fire. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright sums it up best this way. Every time you decide to let your anger smolder on inside you, You are becoming a little less than fully human. You are deciding to belittle yourself. Of course, if you let your anger turn into foul and abusive language, sooner or later you may find yourself in court. And if you are the sort of person who sneers at everybody and calls them names, the fire inside you may eventually become all that's left of you. And Gehenna may take you over completely. Wow. That's some strong words. But I believe that they need to be heard today. And I want to I talk just briefly about something where I've seen the Gehenna of fire beginning to make its way through the church. And folks, as your pastor, I am pastorally concerned that Christians are being consumed in this way. Not, the, not those outside the church. Christians, those of us inside the church, are being consumed by the Gehenna of American politics. I don't know if you've heard, we have an election coming up. And I don't care what party you root for. Honestly, I don't. I have heard a simmering anger and words of arrogant hate and full of calling people moros in some way shape or form by christians on both sides of the aisle there is a gehenna of fire that is sweeping through the church and if we are not careful we will be consumed by it i believe we need to hear the words of our theological great-grandfather john wesley right now in 1774 He said these words about voting. Now, this was British elections, a little different than what we have today. But this is what he said about voting. He said, I met those of our church society who had votes in the ensuing election. And here's how I advised them. I advised them of three things. One, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judge most worthy. In essence, it's not what, you, what they would get out of it. It's not what you're going to get out of them being in office. You vote for the person that you judge most worthy. Number two, he said, I advise them to speak no evil of the person they voted against. Ooh. And three, and maybe most importantly, to take care that their spirit were not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. Wow. Friends, 
I speak to you now as your pastor, as your shepherd, the one God placed here for this time, for this congregation, as one who loves you and is concerned for your soul. I beg you, listen to Pastor John Wesley in these next three weeks. We are in danger of running headlong into Gehenna. And if we are not careful, we will be consumed by its fire. And we, the church, will be left on the garbage heap of history. The things I hear us say about candidates and the things we post about others who vote for the other party are exactly the kind of things that Jesus is saying lead to our judgment and to our lives being thrown on the fire. It's, it's, it's us, not them. Please take care. What if we just decided to be a people who vote for one candidate or the other and remain quiet about it? If you haven't decided, what if you decide to go to the candidate's actual website and read what the actual candidate says they want to try and do while they're in office? Not what other people say, not what the news media says, not what social media says, not what Jim on Facebook says, but the actual candidates. And you make a decision, you pray about it, you make a decision, and then decide to remain quiet and see what the results will be. Why should we remain quiet for who we voted for? This is how I got to thinking about it. Because if you and I are in a conversation about who we voted for, and you and I vote for the same person, there's a real temptation that we will become prideful and we'll begin to say things about the other candidate. And if you and I are in that conversation and we're on opposite sides of the voting spectrum, the temptation is to hang hatred, angry behavior, contempt if not in our language in our actions do you see where i'm going with this i think john wesley was right vote for the person you feel is best don't speak evil of the other person and don't let your spirit be sharpened against those who vote opposite of you Is everybody here a little uncomfortable now with Jesus' warning? Well, good. That's as it should be. Their world back then was like our world is today. It was a world so consumed with simmering, lasting anger that that anger appeared as just something normal for society. But Jesus didn't come to announce the kingdoms of this earth or to bring another kingdom of earth with him he came to announce the kingdom of heaven and life in the kingdom of heaven is completely different and jesus was saying it's invading right now into this space here and now how different is it well just pick up and read verses 23 and 24 and you'll hear the difference of the kingdom of heaven jesus says so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift so you see disciples of jesus realize that orgizomenos is so dangerous that they don't even want other people to to have that anger in them simmering in them or consuming them and so you know if somebody has something against me i don't want that for their life i want to go and do something that will change that in their life i want to see that extinguished in their life and so that person that disciple of jesus will climb down off their pedestal and go and make things right with that person be reconciled so that the fire in their heart can be put out 
Jesus says even the most important religious activity, the offering of sacrifice in the temple, is to be delayed. It is to be put second to reconciling a relationship, to having that fire of orgizomenos put out in their lives. Now remember, Jesus is our teacher. That's been our series this whole time. We are his disciples, his students. So let me ask the question, do we, do you take his teachings seriously? Like he actually meant for us to live this way? Is there someone you need to go to today and make amends to? He also gives another example of court proceedings. Turn to verse 25 and 26. He gives another example. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So this relationship that Jesus is describing, there's obviously been an ongoing argument for it to get all the way to the courts. It also shows that these two individuals have a win-at-all-cost attitude. Not only does a win-at-all-cost attitude put winning in front of relationship, but there's also a chance that you end up losing. And when you lose, you end up in solitary confinement. And Jesus is saying that 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 losing of the relationship can lead to the loss of all relationships. This is why this is so important that we look at the anger that may be simmering in our own lives and we help extinguish that. Even if it means we have to take a one-down position, we make sure that that fire is not burning in someone else's life. Jesus said his disciples do not operate with a win-at-all-cost mentality. They are constantly looking for how can I put people first and build friendships because that is what God did for me. You may be thinking, but I'm so angry. There's no way I can live this out, Pastor Jeff. And the good news today is you're exactly right. None of us can live like this in our own strength or willpower. But Jesus is our example and teacher. And he did live this way. He didn't even let anger get a foothold towards the people who betrayed him, toward the ones who nailed him to a cross, to the ones who even murdered him with all the anger that they could muster. He took it all inside of him and he nailed it along with his own body to the cross. And he died the death that that kind of violent words and actions happened. And he took that anger with him. And you know the story wasn't over. Because he was raised from the dead while anger was left, while Orgizomenos was left in the grave. And now that simmering rage no longer has to have the final sway over our lives. Jesus can empower you and me to live without rage, to put out even the smoldering or simmering just below the surface kind of rage. If we will only let him, he can deliver us. He can deliver you. Now, sometimes that delivery comes through finding out why you are so angry in the first place. It's a good plug for therapy. You see, anger is a secondary emotion. It usually races out in front of the primary emotion. We usually feel angry when we're hurt or when we've been wounded. 
and anger rushes out to kind of protect us. So therapy might be a good place. Sometimes that delivery might come when you are with a therapist who helps you understand, why am I so wounded? Why am I so hurt? And maybe if God deals with those wounds and hurt, the anger, the smoldering will finally be extinguished. Sometimes delivery comes as you intentionally surrender every moment to Jesus. And it can happen in a moment. In just a second, I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to pray that God would help us, help you, help someone you know, to either let go of rage into his hand to be healed or to lead you into a healing therapeutic relationship where God can do his work in the presence of someone else. Either way, our call as Jesus' disciples, as followers of the one who lived without rage That's our call. We are called to be a community that lives without rage. What a light that would be to our rage-filled world. May God make it so in us, like he did for Reuben Robinson. Maybe you've never heard of Reuben Robinson. He lived a century or so before. And Reuben Robinson was a, a country farm guy, and, uh, and he was, he described himself as full of rage. He even tells a story that one time he was so angry, he was out plowing the fields with his, his mule, and his mule wouldn't do what he was going to do. And he went up, he's so angry at that mule, he just wanted to get this plowing done, and the mule was just sitting there. And he went up, and he was angry, and he, he was pushing on the mule, and that mule reached around and, and nipped at him and bit him on the ear just a little bit. And Reuben was so angry. You know what he did? He grabbed the ear, that long ear of that donkey, and bit a chunk out of that ear. That's the rage that was in him. He began to wonder about that. And he heard that there was going to be a Nazarene preacher in an old, one of those old-fashioned outdoor services. And he went for that first time and heard that preacher talk about it. And Reuben walked out of that service saying, you know, that's the best faith I've ever heard about. To hear that Jesus could come in and make such a drastic change in my life, that's the best faith I've ever heard about. But I couldn't get that even if I wanted it. But he came back the next night. And he heard the same message about a Jesus who could deliver him even from his rage. And he left that second service saying, you know, that's the best faith I've ever heard about. I wonder how I could get that. I wonder if Jesus could do that in me. He came back the next day and he heard the same message about this Jesus who can make a radical difference in his life. And that day something was different. He stayed And he said, that's the best faith I've ever heard about. And I will die if I don't get that in me tonight. Are you like Reuben? You see, Reuben did get what he was looking for. He did find who he was looking for. You see, Jesus came in and changed his rage and put it out and changed his heart to be towards one who was like a disciple of Jesus, who could live without rage, who could love people who were difficult to love. And God changed that angry man into someone that from then on out, everyone referred to as Uncle Buddy Robinson, one of the greatest preachers the Church of the Nazarene has ever seen.
What about you? Are you like Uncle Buddy? Do you need the love and mercy of Jesus, the transforming power to come in and extinguish the rage and fill you up with mercy and love? It may take going to a therapist, but it may just happen right there in your living room, right now where you are sitting. So I'm going to invite you to close your Bibles. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are right now. And I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. Father, you and I both know about my rage. I trust God that you know why it is there, even if I don't. All I know is I know I need help. And right now, I trust that Jesus can help me. That Jesus lived without anger. And he wants me to as well. So I ask in Jesus' name that he would come in that the living water he talked about would extinguish the simmering, smoldering rage within me. I pray that he would heal me of my wounds. I pray that he would lead me to a healing, therapeutic relationship that would allow the Holy Spirit to extinguish the fire of orgizomenos in my life. Teach me your ways, Lord Jesus, and help me to live a life filled with love, even for others who have smoldering rage. For I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer along with me, I pray that you are experiencing the joy of what Jesus can do in your heart. I want you to let us know, so please send us an email or send something right in that chat box right there uh, down below. Send, send me a comment. We want to know how Jesus used this message to help you. I pray God's blessing upon you. Would you stand wherever you are around and receive the blessing uh, before you go? And now, may you, experiencing, experience the living water quenching the rage that may be inside you. May you, right now, where you are in your home, know that Jesus can bring you peace. I pray that Jesus will give you the strength to go and make right relationships that have been broken. I pray that you will commit to being His disciple And I pray that you would experience the joy of His healing presence within. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us at Cross Community Church this week. We're glad that you joined us and you matter. You belong here, even online. So always make a a point 
to visit us. We want you here. Thanks so much, and may God bless you in the rest of your week. Have a great, great week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.